Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. The house was not in good shape, which is an amazing feeling because after doing all the hundreds of deals that you and me have done in the past 10 years, you know that the uglier and the smellier the, the house is, the sweeter the deal is going to be. Welcome to the Get Traction podcast. If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z. Welcome back to Get Traction Podcast. Tom Z, happy to be back with you guys and super excited for my special guest today. Because my special guest today is my wife. It's Carolina Zeeb, who is a fantastic investor and wholesaler in her own right and focuses on the Latino market, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. I guess Carolina will call this uh, episode Press 2 for Spanish. What do you think about that? I like it, Tom. You've always wanted to use that phrase in um, any of your marketing materials. So, yes, let's use it. Press 2. All right. Press 2 for Spanish. So, how are you? Good. I'm excited to to be part of the podcast because I think you've got an amazing guest and I'm just honored that you said, okay, let's have you as my guest. So I'm glad to to share my knowledge, my experiences, my mistakes, my challenges, my fears on how I became a real estate investor. Oh, fantastic. So why don't we start with where you got started? How did you get started? Why did you get started? What was life like before real estate investing? What got you into it? And what changed afterwards? Sure. I'm going to start when I moved to the States. So this is before Tom, BT. I moved to this lovely country um, September 2001. I had finished uh, business school in Bogota, Colombia, where I'm from. And yes, that's where my accent is from. So people, I hope that you understand my accent. Uh, don't don't hang up yet. Just I think you'll understand my my English. Um, I moved here in two thousand one. Um, I got an internship with a local association here in DC. Um, it was a dream for me. I wanted to move to the states for a little bit. I wanted to improve my English. I wanted to work for an American company, and I was lucky to got an internship with this association. And it was fantastic. I had a, a special 
internship visa and I was going to be here for a year and I learned a lot. I was very excited just to be here, just to be working for an American company. Um, I was thrilled. I think the first month uh, it was great. I was excited. I was in my early 20s. As weeks and months went by, I realized, wait a minute, I have to be working here nine to five and I'm making very little money and you're only going to let me have two weeks of vacation after a year work. It just, it just didn't click. And it just got worse and worse in the sense that I was frustrated. I was happy to be having this amazing experience. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, but I wasn't totally thrilled. I said, there's got to be something else. And I think that comes with my, I guess, my entrepreneurship. I've been, I think I've been a entrepreneur since I was six or seven. I always tell the story that my first business was when I was seven years old. Um, we used to come to the States with my family. Uh, we used to come to Disney. We used to go to Miami and Orlando. And my dad would always give me 20 bucks to buy something from the States, which was awesome for me because in those years, uh, we didn't have all the things that we can now have in Colombia. Anyway, instead of buying a big stuffed animal or a toy, I will buy nerds. You know, the, the candy, the nerds, the... Yeah, all the different crazy sugar-filled different colored candy. <laughs> I will put them in my bag and then take them home. And then I was I will sell them to my classmates, my neighbors. And we didn't have nerds. It wasn't as easy to buy nerds. So I was making two or three times what I had um, spent. So that was my first business. And my dad was my first bank. And I think it's just been with me that business sense and I think I also got it from my grandmother on my mom's side who was a business owner I think she was the only grandma in my time that that had a business that made money that wrote checks that had her own business she had an elementary school and and she did great so I think I grew up watching her being able to be with us um, enjoy what she did which was teaching and and just enjoying life. She was with us every vacation on the same with my mom. She was always there. So I guess all of that took me to that frustration here when I, I was in the States. And I realized there's got to be something else. I cannot be stuck here in front of a computer working nine to five. I said, there's got to be something else. And that's when I met you, Tom maybe around 2002. You're better with dates. I always forget what years, what dates, but I think it was 2002, right? When I met you? It was. And then I remember when I met you, you said, oh, I'm doing this real estate thing. And I thought, okay, he's either a realtor or he's buying properties and renting them out, which is the first thing that 80% of the population thinks when you say, I do real estate. Yes, the, it seems to be the way people uh, hear it. If you say I'm a real estate investor, they, they assume you said real estate agent or realtor. They never quite get what <laughs> what being a real estate investor is, and they certainly don't understand the concept of real estate wholesaling. 
Right. And then the other thing they think is, oh, you have properties and you rent them out. So that's the traditional most common way that people think or, or yeah, think that that's the only way to do real estate. And that's the way you heard it when I said it. Right. So I said, okay. And then you said, no, I actually, I do deals. I never own the property. Um, I'm not a real estate agent and I don't buy the properties. I don't own the properties and I just get paid. And of course, my first thought is this, this gringo is crazy and this is a scam. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, just show me. So I remember going with you to uh, meeting sellers, talking to sellers, negotiating deals. Um, I remember sellers signing um, contracts with you directly in a very calm, natural, just looked like you were friends with them. And then you walk out of the house with a contract and then, and I remember, okay, now we have to, to find a buyer. And, and then you say, let me call one of my buyers and then you will call them and, and you put it all together. And then maybe two, three weeks later, I will go with you to a settlement company or attorney's office, uh, which it was my first time in an office like that because I, I had just been in this country for a year and I had never bought a property. So I, I didn't even know what a settlement attorney or, um, or a settlement office or a title company was. So you explained that to me and I remember we showed up. On one side was the seller, happy to sell the property very very comfortable with you i remember they were all just very nice to you and then on the other side of the table was one of your rehabbers one of your renovators one of your buyers that actually brought the money to to buy that deal and they shuffle papers for about five minutes and then the seller walked out of the settlement table with a really nice check the buyer walked out of the table with a title for the, the the house that he had purchased and I remember you walk out of there with a check and I think the first one that I went with you maybe you did like 15 or 20 I don't remember but I remember you walking in your hands with that check and you showed me that check and I said okay this is not a scam this is actually real <laughs> he he I mean we did it on a very official environment I mean we had attorneys we had title right we have all this paperwork that was that made it very very formal and unreal and legal so I said okay show me more and you did <laughs> and then I I saw how you closed several deals and then I said well I want to do this and I want to see if it actually works for me and that's that's when I I said how about if I just focus on the Hispanic market? So, so I remember translating all your marketing materials, your postcards. And I remember putting my first marketing um, system out. It was a, a newspaper ad on a, on a local small newspaper for the Hispanic market. And how did that feel? Were you nervous and scared? I mean, finally getting your marketing campaign going, advertising in a local Latino Hispanic newspaper. What was going through your mind at the time? I was afraid. I was embarrassed. I was 
I just didn't know what was going to happen because I had to put my face on a newspaper ad on my phone number. <laughs> yes, we put your picture in it. It said, I buy houses. Compramos casas por cash. That was my line and that was my phone number, which was my cell phone because at that time, that's all I had. I didn't have a line line. It was just a cell phone. So I was afraid. I was embarrassed. I was, uh, I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but you said, try it. It will work. And I said, fine. And the call started coming in. Some were good. Some were bad. Some were crazy. The ones uh, Friday night from oh, yes. guys. What, what, would, what would happen on a Friday night with an ad in a Latino newspaper with your picture in it? Friday night, just uh, not a very nice guy will call and say, hey, is that you in the photo? Is that you in the picture? And I said, yes. Do you have a house to sell? Oh, no. I just wanted to see if that was you. And then I will hang up. <laughs> Even that didn't stop me. I said, okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what's going to happen. And I, I was motivated because some of the calls were good. You didn't worry about the drunk dials. No. Asking if that was your picture. In fact, I seem to remember if there wasn't a drunk dial call on a given Friday or Saturday night, that we would uh, run to the newsstand, grab the newspaper and make sure they'd actually run your ad that week. Yeah. It was that persistent and consistent that you got a drunk dial call. Yeah, it was a free way for, for us to know that the, the ad was running. I got a lot of rejections. Yeah, a lot of people that just didn't fit the, the criteria. I got a lot of no's. But it, it, it motivated me a little bit because I, I did get some good calls. There were leads and then and then you, you taught me how to talk to them. And I remember one of the first people that called and they gave me the information. And it just it looked like a good deal. And I went to see the house because I wanted to finalize the negotiation. I wanted to look at it. And I had spoken to the wife and she was very nice. And then when I got there, she was very nervous. And then she said, well, my husband is also here. And the husband was not nice at all. He was just, he was just very cold and mm -hmm. was wondering who I was and what mm -hmm. was it that you that I wanted and who are you and so I remember sitting in the table with them and I remember my legs shaking and I've never had that feeling before <laughs> my legs were shaking um uncontrollably I had to actually put my hands in my in my legs and and I, I did the best I could do I just talked I explained him what I did he probably asked me questions that I didn't know the answer I did my best And I told them, this is what I do. I can buy the property for this amount. And this is a contract. If, if you want, I can work with you. And I remember the, the wife didn't talk at all. It was just the, the husband. And he remained extremely cold. And he almost asked me to, okay, get out because we're done here. And I said, okay. But I made it through. And nothing happened to me. I survived. Uh, I did not close that deal, of course. But it was an amazing first experience for me to realize, okay, this is what I'm, I'm going to be dealing with. I'm going to be talking on the phone with people. I'm going to be answering questions. I'm going to be negotiating. Um, I'm going to be rejected a lot. I'm going to meet nice people. 
I'm going to meet not, not very nice people, but this is what I have to do. What's the worst that is going to happen? That this doesn't work. That this person says, no, I don't want to sell you my house. So I would just move on. And that's how it all started. One call after another, um, after another. And I think it was call 30 something that got my first deal. So 30 something calls before you finally had a good one. Uh, you were turned down. Yep. 30 something times before you finally got one that was going to convert. How did that feel like? How, how did you stay persistent through that? Because that's most people get discouraged after one or two no's or one or two slaps in the face. How did you put up with 30? I don't know. I just I just wanted to really prove <laughs> that this worked because I, I saw how you were doing it. And I said, well, if this works for him, it, this has to work for me. And it was more of a more of a I want to see if this really works so I can keep dating this guy. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize I had all that on the line. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> tell me, Carolyn, is it majorly different? I mean, you've done deals in English, you've done deals in Spanish. You're talking about these times of mostly in Spanish to a to Spanish-speaking market. Is the, are the people radically different? Does, is, do the conversations go wildly differently? Or are people pretty much people just speaking a different language? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that we all talk the same issues. I have a problem. Can you help me? I have a challenge. Can you help me? Can I trust you? How much money I'm going to make? So in the core of the conversation and the core of the of the seller's uh, personality is, is the same. I mean, everybody has a problem, an issue, a challenge. And our job is to see if we are the ones that are able to help them. And when I say no, is that Latinos were just a bit more used to negotiating like crazy. We are not used to say, hey, I can buy your house for 100000 And you say, sure, done, sign, done. No, we are used to negotiate. We are used to trying to get a better deal or trying to get more. And I think it just comes with the, with the culture. It's very normal, very, very normal. You grow up naturally better negotiators because you actually have to negotiate for something growing up where Americans, like natural born Americans, we don't we don't negotiate for anything. It, the price is what the price is, is whatever it says on the on the price tag of the sticker and you pay it with maybe the exception of cars. And most people don't really love going to buy a car because they hate that feeling of negotiating. But you're saying Latinos are raised, as many cultures around the world, are raised with uh, more of a sense of negotiation. I think Americans look at it as haggling, but it doesn't have to be price haggling. It is just a negotiation. There's an expectation of going back and forth to make a deal. Right. So that part for me was maybe easier that, than maybe somebody else, but it was still frightening. It was still, I was still afraid to call someone and, and say, yes, I can buy your house. And yes, I can help you. And uh, yes, we can close in seven days. And yes, I can buy cash. Because at the beginning, I, I understood how the whole process of wholesaling worked. I understood that it was legal, that it was doable, that it could be done. But still, until you do it the first time or the second time, you don't, you don't believe it until you actually do it. 
<laughs> you know, I've often told students that there's um, there's nothing like the first time. It's absolutely magical because it shows you there's a whole other world out there and this can be done and it's fantastic, except that, well, there's nothing like the first time. It's the second time that's actually a lot more powerful because the second time cements it, the second time locks it into your mind because what tends to happen after the first time, you're excited and you're happy, but there's that little nagging voice in the back of your head and the voices, maybe your friends and family who, quote unquote, care so much about you. They want you to think uh, that it was just uh, chance. It was just luck. That lightning just happened to strike there, but lightning struck you, but lightning's never going to strike twice. And that's a big issue. That's why the second deal that you do is even more important because then you know it wasn't luck. It wasn't chance that lightning did actually strike twice and that you controlled having that lightning strike. And so that's a that's a seminal moment for most people is when you realize, hey, I not only did this, I did this again. I made this happen. And then you never look back. Yeah. And the key is to not give up. It's it's very easy to say, oh, this real estate thing doesn't work because I sent a hundred postcards. I talked to five sellers and uh, I drove for deals in my neighborhood. This thing doesn't work because I got 10 calls and none of them were good. It's very easy to say, I'm done. I'll move on with uh, something else. Uh, stay in your job. Go with uh, something that is more secure in, in your eyes, maybe. But um, what really motivated me was my boss at that time, who I just didn't like at all. I just couldn't stand her. And at that time, I had switched from an intern visa to a work visa. And that work visa only allowed me to work for this particular association. I couldn't say goodbye, boss, goodbye, um, company, and let me go find another job. That's not the way the, the H-1 visa is set up. You can only work for the company that um, hired you, that got you here to the States. So I didn't have a choice. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just quit and say goodbye. But I was allowed to start a business and um, put time, energy in that business. And I think that not liking her was my biggest motivation. And I just kept on going and going. <laughs> So in some ways, you owe her a debt of gratitude yes, for, for yes. not liking her so much. And then after I closed the first deal and I saw that check for 30 grand and it was made to to me and, and to my business, and I just couldn't believe it. I said, what did just happen? I never owned this property. I did invest a lot of money. I had, I j had just invested a few hundred dollars in marketing. I had invested my time which was I don't know how I did it because at that time I was working full-time and then um, I was trying to switch to another company so I was doing some trainings in the evenings and then I was starting the business and I don't know how I did it well maybe that's it when you're so busy you just get things done and I often find that being tight on time is is kind of a blessing in disguise to people because you, you value the free time that you do get and you focus in that free time because if you're really serious about getting going, it's okay to get it going as a side hustle first. 
and then eventually can take over. Because you you just said you made, I don't want to gloss over that point, you made $30,000 on your first deal, wholesale, never having owned the property. And how much were you being paid a year at that job? I think I was about around that for the whole year. Yeah, I, I remember, <laughs> I think you were making 35. So yeah. in, in one fell swoop, you made almost an entire year's worth of, of money. And uh, <laughs> what did it feel like having to go back to the office the next day? It was awful. But again, I was I was trapped, if you want to say that word, if I want to use that word, in the sense that I, I could not leave this company. And I had, I, I had made a commitment with the company, which I like to follow my, my, if I give them my worth and I sign a contract and I was under that particular visa. And so I just said, okay, I'll go to work. I'll do my best. And I did learn a lot. I mean, in terms of logistics and organization, it was, I did. I mean, I tried to do my best. I gave them my best, but yes, I was frustrated and and mad because I didn't like my boss in particular. But it was motivating that check. And then I just kept on doing my marketing, my marketing. And then I uh, did another deal and then another one. And then it, it was just fantastic. That first deal was 2003, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember by 2005, I was able to quit my job because I was losing money by just going to work because I had to answer phone calls. More expensive to go to the day job and spend the time when you can do that. Right, because at the beginning, I just had a few hundred dollars and I had to answer the phone. I had to mail those postcards. I have to lick those envelopes. I have to put the stamps. I had to go see the properties. I had to do everything. So it's if you're working nine to five, you have just a few hours in the evenings and then the weekends. So I was able at 2005 to to quit my job and and then and then do this um, full time. And then it was a, an amazing learning process. Every deal um, that got rejected or fell apart, I learned. Every deal that did get uh, close, I learned. Uh, I was becoming a better negotiator. I was able to understand what was my market. I was able to understand what should I focus on? What type of seller is um, the seller that I need to talk to? And during that whole process, I, I did close. I mean, it wasn't in the beginning that I, I, I don't only close uh, with sellers, Spanish-speaking sellers. I've, I've dealt with American sellers, um, any other, I mean, several types of, of sellers, not only Latinos. And, and I remember my first uh, English speaker seller, I was afraid <laughs> because I was thinking, how can I make this person, this American-born person who speaks perfect English, how do I make this person trust me? And it, it worked. I just acted exactly the same. This is me. This is what I do. And this is how I can help you. I've been very lucky to be able to connect with most of my sellers, but just being me. Being, I usually just say, hi, I'm Carolina. This is what I do. And I look for houses. I renovate houses. Um, how can I help you? Tell me what's your challenge, what's your situation, and, and let me see if I'm the right person for you. Because maybe I'm not. 
if you're looking for full price, if you're looking to move to a beautiful neighborhood and get top dollars for your house, I'm probably not your girl, uh, but I'm going to refer you to an amazing realtor who either speaks English or Spanish. I will just choose depending who the seller was and then take it from there. So the, the more and more you talk to sellers, the more and more you market, then you know what works because maybe postcards don't work for you. Maybe newspaper ads work for you. Maybe letters work for you. Banded signs. I remember uh, putting the magnet signs in my car. That was one of my first strategies, marketing strategies. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I remember I had this old Honda Civic. And I, put the, I got the signs and I was very embarrassed to put them in my car. But I said... I mean, what, what, what am I going to lose? Nothing. But what could I gain? Somebody might call me. And if you drive around and then people see your car sign, I mean, that's the, I think that's a very nice marketing way, isn't it? Nice marketing strategy. But didn't your friends make fun of you? Yep. I remember I went to pick up a friend and she laughed. She said, what is that? What are you doing? And I told her what I was doing. And, and I think she said, oh, no, that's, why don't we take my car? It's just too embarrassing to get in that car. <laughs> and and I, of course, it's hard and you feel ashamed. And, and I remember trying to explain what I did to my parents back, back in Colombia. They were like, uh, okay, but you still have a job, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I still have a job. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's funny because after, I think, a day of tour after my friend was embarrassed to get in my car, I, I got a really nice call and then I that ended up on a deal. So I don't care if I had to put a magnet sign in my car and people make fun of me, but if I can make 10 grand, then, well, I'll put the sign. I don't care. <laughs> it's still better than going to the office. Yep. Five days a week, eight hours a day. Hey, let's go back to the, your first deal, Carolina, because we didn't talk about it specifically. We talked about what the result was. The result was 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 a fantastic thirty grand. But what do you remember about that deal? Getting getting it going. Tell us, kind of tell us that deal story. I just remember I was so afraid. I hope I remember everything because I was just so afraid. It was a deal in Manassas. The seller's name I remember was Gustavo. He was from Mexico, and when he called me, he said, "Hey." I need to sell my house because I might be going to court. And I said, how do you mean you're going to court? Are you going to foreclosure? Just, I'm not sure what you mean by going to court. He said, well, I might have to go to jail. So in two weeks, I have to go to court to see if I go to jail or not. And before <laughs> I go to the hearing, I need to sell this house. Okay. And then I, I asked him what's the, how much you want for the property and what's the best that you can do. And, and I knew he needed to sell fast. He told me I need to sell within a week. I don't want to go to the um, hearing. Uh, I, need to, I need to sell the house before. Um, he gave me a number. We, then I remember you helped me run comps, uh, just kind of get a general idea. And... And I said, okay, I'll go tomorrow and see the property, so we could do inspections. And I asked you to come with me. I 
I think it's perfectly normal to ask someone to go with you to see a property, especially if if this is your first deal or if you're not sure who's going to be there or what. I think it's safer. So I asked you to go with me. We went together during the day. And uh, we got there. The, the seller was extremely nice, but he looked worried. He looked concerned. He looked sick, almost sick. He was just very, very concerned. I think he was a little drunk there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he was. He was just worried. And then so what I remember are cockroaches and beer bottles all over. Yeah, the, the house was not in good shape, which is an amazing feeling because after doing all the hundreds of deals that we, you and me have, have done in the past uh, 10 years, you know that the uglier and the smellier the, the house is, the sweeter the deal is going to be. Absolutely. So at that time, I didn't know that. So I just was, wow, this house is in really bad shape and smells really bad and there's a lot of people living here, and I remember, as normal, there was a soccer game going on, which I, I look, and I asked him, okay, what's the score? Which is my way to connect. I'm sure we all have ways to connect, things that people like to do, hobbies, uh, passions, interests, and that's one of mine. If I'm talking to a Hispanic um, seller, I always ask them, what, what country are you from? And it's very easy for me to connect Right there. Okay, where are you from? Oh, yes, I have been there. Or, oh, yes, I, I know a friend from there. Or if they like soccer, I try to connect, whether it's a, an American seller, a Hispanic seller, doesn't matter. I have, I always try to find a way to connect. And I connected to Gustavo right away. He really trusted me. He he liked me. And, and I said, Gustavo, this is, this is the offer that I can make you. I had brought the contract with me. Uh, we sat down and he said yes to my number, which was very low and really good. But he he had a lot of equity on the property. He had bought it really, really uh, cheap. So he had a lot of equity. So he was comfortable with the, the number I gave him. And his main goal was not how much money he was going to make. He just wanted to get out. He didn't want to live with the people that he was living there. He just want he just wanted out of the house. Um, so I sat down with him and I explained paragraph by paragraph of the contract that he was signing. Um, he understood basic English and he spoke basic English, but I wanted to make sure that he knew what he was signing because the contracts are the contracts that I use are in English. And if they didn't understand, I always translate each paragraph so they know what they're signing. Um, so we signed the contract. And I think we walk out of the house and we call one of your buyers that you knew was going was gonna to get it because he was buying in that area. And, and he went and looked at the property, I think, the next day. And he said, yeah. And I said, but we need to close this fast. Um, we got to settlement and everything was ready to go and the attorney he was very nice and i explained the whole situation why we needed to rush the title why we needed to close quickly and i remember we we're all sitting at the table and then the attorney asked him before we started signing documents 
He said, uh, Mr. Seller, Mr. Gustavo, I need to ask you, why do you have to go to court? What did you do? Why do you think you might have to go to jail? And I remember, <laughs> I remember my heart, my heart stopped maybe for five seconds. And I just, I just felt my entire, my entire stomach going through my throat. It was just an awful feeling. Because you didn't know the answer. I didn't. And I didn't know I was supposed to ask. I didn't know. I just, I was just doing my first deal. So I said, I said to myself, I said, oh God. And I started praying, please, I hope that he didn't kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, uh, no, this is my second time um, driving and drinking, drinking and driving, however you call that. DUI, DIU, whatever. Drunk driving, driving under the influence. That one. And we all breathed. We were like, okay. And the attorney said, okay, we can we can complete this transaction because if you had done something different, you might not be able to close, to have like still power to close this, this to sell this property. Anyway, we closed it. And then I remember Gustavo's face. He was relief. He was, sorry, relieved. See, I, I don't speak English, but I can make... 30 grand in real estate. Um, he was relieved. He was happy. And I remember we drove him back home. Yes, it was much better than we did the driving. Yes, because he <laughs> couldn't drive, right? So that's, that's, another, that's another good point when you are dealing with sellers. We want to make it as easy for them as possible in the entire process, whether it's... Um, talking on the phone, via email, signing the contract. Do I fax you the contract? Do I email it to you? Do I FedEx it to you? Do I just come to your house and sign it? And then we sign the contract. And then how do you, do? You, can you make it to the settlement attorney? Do I, may I drive you there? Because I have several occasions, a lot of occasions. I have picked up my seller and taken them to the settlement Um office because either they were very old like miss uh, davies i remember she was so sweet but she was 80 something and i said may i drive you and she said oh sweetie that's so nice sure or gustavo who could not drive because he didn't have a license or uh the point is how can i make life easier for my seller so we can get this done and they can move on with life I remember we saw Gustavo maybe a week or two later after the, the the house had been sold. He had moved out and he told me that he had moved in with um, his sister. And I remember, I think I was going to either deliver another part of the, of the payment or just bring him just a gift to say thank you. And I remember he was looking fantastic. He had shaved. Um, he was looking happy. He was just a completely different gentleman. And then the testimonial that he gave me, that's what sealed the deal for me in terms of making the decision, I want to do this real estate thing. Because I'm not only making good money, I'm not only working for myself, I have my own business. I don't have... I didn't have credit. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a license. But then after all of this, then I get this really nice guy telling me thank you for helping him 
through this huge challenge that he was uh, facing. That's what sealed the deal for me on making the decision that this real estate thing work. Not every deal is gonna be as pretty as this one. Uh, we've, uh, we've gotten deals that have been very, very stressful. A lot of uh, issues, either the seller, either the buyer, or the settlement company, well, we have had those. But this is just part of, of the real estate life. You're gonna have issues, for sure. And I always say this when we're at the Traction Re-Events, on when, when you do your boot camps, or when I talk to students, or when I talk to people that are not sure about this real estate thing. And I always tell them, this is, this is gonna take work and time and drive. If you don't think that you have it, then don't try. Because you are gonna have uh, rejections, you're gonna have challenges, but if you're surrounded by a nice support team, including a mentor, a good attorney, a good realtor, you're gonna be okay. Because the experiences of that team are gonna help you deal with any situation that comes across. But this is not, let's get, let's get millionaire by next Wednesday. This is not how they marketed. I know the big, big groups that come around town and they go around the country. And then they promise you that, oh, you don't need to do anything. Just deals uh, fall down from the sky. You don't have to do anything. Just, uh, you're just going to start getting checks and checks here and there. And that is not the way it works. What is the reality? The reality is you got to do it. You have to put your marketing in motion. You got to start talking to sellers. You have to start talking and finding buyers for your deals. You got to practice negotiation, but you got to dive in. If you're not going to jump in in the water and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start looking for properties in my neighborhood just to get an idea what prices are. If you don't get that chip in your head that every time you go to a neighborhood and you see a vacant house, because once you start doing this, you develop this radar where you can spot vacant houses from a block away. You can, you can drop me in any neighborhood in the U.S., even Colombia or any other country. And I can spot a vacant house. It's really easy and you develop this radar for noticing little details. Oh, look, look at the mail that is piling up in, this ha in the house. Look at the grass that is piling up on that um, other house. Look at that window. It's, there's a broken window there. Or why are all these houses so pretty in the same one? And this one just looks weird, empty. You start to develop all these amazing gifts or radars or however you want to call them where you can start noticing uh, things that maybe you didn't notice before or things that regular people, even agents might not even spot. And then you're going to get good at it, but you have to do it. There's no way that someone is going to knock on your door and say, hey, would you like to buy my house for 60%? of the after repair value, that's just not gonna happen. And you have to tell the world, what is it that you do? This means telling your friends, telling your family, 
telling the waiter, telling your mailman, telling the teachers at your kid's school, telling everybody that you meet, hey, this is what I do. But if by any chance you see a house that is in bad shape or if you know someone who really needs to sell, then uh, have them call me. I might be able to help you. And that's another way that I have gotten deals. Uh, bird dogs. Uh, a lot of my bird dogs are, I call them, I don't know, fancy bird dogs. I have a lot of friends that are doctors and they don't have the time to start this business. But they know what I do and I just tell them, just tell me the property address and I'll take care of the rest. So they have eyes and ears. And as long as they have eyes and ears, you can alert them to what to look for and what to listen for. Yeah, and some of some of these uh, doctors, they, they work in hospitals that are around neighborhoods that are not as fancy. Like here in D.C., around children's hospitals, uh, neighborhoods that are not the the typical suburb, beautiful. Right. Target neighborhoods, mm-hmm. targeted, targeted neighborhoods for investors like us. Right, and they're on their way to work, and they're not going to start a real estate business, but they can tell me the address. And then I can take care from there. And we've done a lot of deals with that. And then they get a a referral fee and they're happy because all they had to do was give me an address. Give you an address. If you're able to flip it wholesale, you pay them a fee and they're happy and everybody's everybody's thrilled. Right. But, But again, you have to do it. If you don't do anything and if you don't develop a way to toughen your skin in terms of getting those rejections, uh, you're not going to go anywhere. It's okay that at the beginning your your legs are shaking. It's okay that at the beginning your voice is shaky because you don't know the answer. It's okay that you get someone uh, that is rude and, and just plain rude and cold and will tell you, Who are you and you're not an Asian and I don't trust you and get out of my house. That's okay. Because that's just part of the process. I I think it's like any other job. I'm sure people that are listening, they have jobs. And I remember, I I bet you that the first day at your job, you had no idea what to do. You were like, okay, let's see what is it that I'm good at. And then little by little, you get really good at it. And I'm sure you you can do your job with your eyes closed. So it's the same thing. So what fixed it for you? If you, you were nervous at the beginning, you were shaking, you didn't have it, you, you put up with over 30 no's, 30 rejections before you finally got your, interestingly enough, $30,000 deal. So about a thousand bucks a rejection is one way of looking at it. So what fixed that fear for you? What fixed that nervousness? What made you move ahead with more and more confidence progressively? Because I knew that deal was going to come. I had seen... You do it. I had seen how you were closing those deals and there was no reason for me not to do it. It was just a matter of that deal is coming. I know it's coming and it was a matter of not giving up. And I had made that decision and I said, this this is going to work. And then during those 30 rejections, uh, there were really close calls, meaning we were very close to, to closing deals. And for one reason or another, they didn't close. But through those 30 goals, I, I got to talk to nice people. I got to learn. I understood what their needs were. I, I got really good at um, 
understanding the neighborhoods that were moving or because you, you can start seeing okay everybody's calling me from this neighborhood or or people in this situation i'm getting calls from people that um are out of state so then you start analyzing your marketing and then you start analyzing your results and then you keep going you can do more of what's working for you right and i've always said I think this is this has been my phrase for the past 10 years. Real estate is like a diet. And this works for men and women because we all diet at some point in our lives. If in a diet, right, the doctor or nutritionist or the basic thing to do is eat less and exercise more, right? Very simple. <laughs> Very can, simple. Can we diet? Yep. I don't care which diet you do. I don't care what exercise. But if you eat less and exercise more, you will lose weight. Guarantee, right? We have all experienced that. Uh, but? But in real estate, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, you got to do it. If you don't sell, send those postcards, if you don't talk to people, if you don't go to trainings, if you don't get to know people, if you don't understand how wholesaling works, in our case, because that's what we do. Yes, we have done renovations. We have done short sales. We have done subject twos. Yes, we have done so many things, but we love wholesaling and we still do it because we love it if it's our lifestyle. But if you're going to do wholesaling, then please understand every piece of it. Just because you went to one class, you're now the the wholesaling master? No, you have, keep, you have to keep going to the monthly, in our case, traction RIA meetings to, lo- to your local RIA group. If you're not in the D.C. area, you have to keep talking to people that have actually done it. Talk to the people that have been successful. Do not talk to the ones that say, oh, I'm awesome and I'm done two, I've done 200 deals and I'm awesome, but they haven't done anything. Talk to the ones that are actually doing it. Go with them. Meet them. And you will get to meet these people at the at the monthly uh, RIA meetings. But if if you get, if you're in that circle... And you start understanding how sellers think, how marketing works, how the contracts work. Um, and you start talking to buyers and then analyzing, hey, how is it that you um, do your numbers? Uh, if you meet contractors, if you go to different neighborhoods, different houses. I remember I didn't even know what the, how to say tons of words in English, meaning like a house. Like the, how do you call them? I still did not. I mean, I had to learn how to set pipelines. Um, ah, what's the electric panel? How do you call the, when you have to shut down the electric panel? Well, the uh, Circuits, no? How do you call that thing? Circuit breakers. Breakers, thank you. See, I didn't even know. <laughs> I had never done a house before in Colombia. No, I, I had no experience. And the only way to get better is just actually go to a house, go with your contractors. Okay, how much would it take to fix this bathroom? Okay, is this a new window or an old window? Um, is there a tree in the middle of the house? <laughs> is the the staircase falling apart? Um, like basic things that anybody can can look at. Then that's how you get good. And that's why I think the 
the three-day bootcamp that, that we have been doing for several years is so good is because we actually show them the whole process from beginning to end. And then we give them the tools to actually go right there. We actually give them um, assignments. We push them to cold sellers during the bootcamp. We get them to to get that that uh, skin, how do you say, tough? And, Toughened up, yeah, tough right? skin. We get them to practice, practice, practice. And we push them and I give them gifts. Okay, if you call five sellers today, I'll give you a gift card. And even some people, even with that bribe, people still don't call. But anyway, the whole point is you have to actually get your marketing out and start talking to sellers and start getting in this world of real estate. I think attending the bootcamp is an amazing way to get it done quick, uh, meaning you will understand the contract, which to me was the main reason why I feel I felt safe because it made, it made me realize, okay, I'm going to sign a piece of document that says that I'm going to buy this house from this person at this price, which could be frightening, especially when I was starting because how am I going to say that I'm going to buy a house and I don't have the money to buy this house? But I understood the contract word by word. I understood what how the contract was designed so I could assign it to a renovator without any any risk. And if something didn't go well, if I didn't have a buyer line up, I can come back to the seller and say, Mr. Seller, I was not able to, to fulfill all the things that we had on this contract or... The inspection, necessities, yep. the inspection didn't go through. I, I didn't know that there was a tree in your bathroom, so I cannot buy the house <laughs> for this amount. And I was, once I understood that contract, man, I was, I was relaxed because I knew I could start telling sellers, yes, I can buy your house because I had a good, solid contract that will explain to the seller, hey, my, my main goal is to buy this property, but if there's a financial reason, meaning my my finances don't, don't come, I mean, I cannot get the money or the inspection doesn't pass or if there's something big or if there's a title issue that we cannot fix, then I won't be able to buy it. But my main intention is to buy your property. So you feel safe and comfortable having a contract that protects you for what you want to do going forward, but also protects you by letting you press an eject button and get out if the deal goes bad or doesn't work and you get out scot-free. Yeah. And then, come on, we all are, we all have fears. We're all afraid of something. And especially girls, they ask me the same question. And that's why I started the women's group. To try to explain to a lot of ladies that are afraid to be in this world. Because I get the question every single time. Can a woman be part of this? Can a Latina be part of this? And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wired different, but I never had a challenge in my life because I was a woman. Even when I was growing up in Colombia and guys didn't let me play soccer because my generation girls didn't play soccer. I did it just because they told me, no, you cannot play. That didn't stop me. I just did it. The same thing here. I remember going to my first RIA meeting 
don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And I was maybe one of three women in the room. I didn't care. <laughs> I just came in and I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. Okay. Oh, this is what real estate is like. Oh, is this what, oh, that the breakers. Oh, this is a window. Okay. Like I just, I just started learning and learning and learning that that didn't stop me. Yes. Most, uh, renovators are guys. It's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, we're moms, we're busy giving birth and raising kids, right? <laughs> but we can fulfill our own professional drive by doing this real estate thing, which can be done from your home, from your computer, or even if you have a full-time job. So for all the ladies out there, yes, you can do it. It's not, it's not a men world only. Yes, most of your contractors are male. I don't think I have a female contractor. And that's just the way it is. It's not, what is it, sexist or discrimination? I don't care. I'm, I, don't have an, I don't think I've had a female contractor in my real estate career. But, contractor, but I have a lot of female buyers, meaning ladies that are buying and sellers and buying and selling properties that are managing crews. That does exist. Yes, there's less of us, but that doesn't mean anything. To me, it really never was an obstacle. And I get the same question all the time. To me, I just did it. There was no, no difference. Uh, sometimes sellers for more, felt more comfortable with me because I was a woman and I wasn't, I wasn't a threat for some of them. Maybe others were looking for the male, like, oh, where's your husband of your male partner? And if I had a seller like that, I would say, sure, let me bring you Tom. So it's not a matter of you cannot do this because you're female. No, it's just a matter of I'm sure you have strengths and weaknesses. Make the most out of them. If you're afraid to talk into sellers, then start. Just call one person. The worst thing that, that can happen is they hang up the phone. And nothing will happen. Your life will go on. Then you call the second and the third. By the tenth caller, psh, you're like, okay, I think I got this. <laughs> you can care less about getting hung up on anymore. Yeah. So the, the that woman thing is really, it's not going to make a difference. You just have to do it. I mean, you can, you can accomplish whatever you want. It's just... Are you going to make the decision to get into this real estate business? Are you going to get trained? Are you going to send those postcards? Are you going to start calling sellers? Are you going to start making negotiation? Are you going to find buyers? Are you going to put are you going to put the time and effort to make this happen so you can be financially free and have the life that I have now, which is really cool because it's around 1 p.m. and I work from home. I can drop my kids off at school. I can go exercise. I love yoga. And then I picked them up at three. They they never went to daycare because they were with us. I was able to take care of them. Um, if someone back in Colombia needs me, I can go. When my dad had the heart attack last November, I was there the same day. And I was able to be there for 10 days. And nothing, nothing suffered. My business did not suffer because I was able to... Uh, run my business from my computer, from my phone, from anywhere in the world. 
we get to travel and and sometimes it's funny how some people say oh it must be nice that you travel so much and it must be nice that you can work from home and I said yes it is nice but I built this business from the very beginning I work hard I did those postcards I met sellers I sell properties I got trained I did it all and little by little I grew so yes it is nice now that I can take a trip that I can enjoy life with friends and family but it took it took work and it took time and it took effort and and that spirit to to make it happen this is, is that why you stick with wholesaling yes it's because you have that freedom and time with family and friends and to yourself oh and also it's because i'm so bad at coming into a room and oh i can see in this room a lovely kitchen and i can see if i take this wall down i that i do not have that gift i can change a light bulb right <laughs> i can start a car like with uh jumper cables i can ride a horse i can drive real well i can do a lot of things right but i cannot i do not have that vision that some of you listeners have where you know how you can renovate that property you have that gift i don't have it or if i have it it's very very little but on the other hand i'm good at talking to people I'm good at listening to people. I'm good at negotiation. I'm good at marketing. So in my case, that's that's why wholesaling was perfect. And at the beginning, it was out of necessity. It was the only real estate strategy that did not require money, credit, or real estate license. So in my case, that was the only option for me. I could not afford to buy a house. I could not afford to do a renovation. I, I'm not, I was not going to buy a um, uh, an apartment complex. I, I didn't have credit. I didn't exist, exist in the credit bureau for my first three years in this country. So the beginning, it was out of necessity. That was the only way. Now it's just, I just like it. It's just easy. I, I rather just in and out quick and yes, we've done renovations and yes, it's fun to see how you can transform things and then you can choose the bathroom and this and that. Yes, that's fun. But I'd rather just be in and out, talk to people and and, and maintain this lifestyle that, that, that we have created. Oh, I understand that perfectly. So you kind of got into wholesaling by necessity of not having money or credit and you stayed in it because of convenience and lifestyle that it provides. Yeah, and now I can take care of two kids. Uh, we have a 10-year-old boy and a 4-year-old boy. And um, we take care of them. I drive them to soccer. I drive them to karate, I to chess, to tournaments. Uh, we do the real estate meetings. We continue to do deals. We manage our businesses. I take care of our Traction REA members. I take care of our Traction mentor students. Um, I help you with boot camps. Um, I, I love, I love planning events where I can bring people and show them how amazing this real estate thing can be. I love that. I love that feeling. And as much as I love making money on deals, 
I love the seller testimonials and I love our student testimonials and attraction members when they close deals and and they share how much uh, their lives change because of the training that they took because they made the decision to to get into real estate a hundred percent and and make it happen. Carolyn is fantastic to hear all of that. Uh, I guess I should say muchas gracias. De nada. And uh, thank you for everything. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Tom. I'm honored to be one of your guests. And uh, adios, amigos. Hasta la próxima. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit GetTractionPodcast.com. There you'll find all current episodes and a link to download a free copy of Tom's Deal Flow Cheat Sheet. Happy wholesaling. 